One of the most fascinating concepts in warfare is, in my opinion, that of proxy wars and proxy conflicts. In essence, a proxy war is a war fought between two or more nations or groups with the support of much more influential nations or groups. A proxy conflict, meanwhile, is the term describing the overarching conflict between these larger nations or groups. By far, the most famous proxy conflict in history was the Cold War, an ideological conflict between the United States and Soviet Union that lasted from the end of World War II in 1945 until the dissolution of the Soviet Union in 1991. The Cold War never involved actual combat between American and Soviet troops. Rather, it consisted of a series of proxy wars between pro-American capitalist forces and pro-Soviet communist forces. The most prominent examples of proxy wars during the Cold War were the Korean War between U.S.-backed South Korea and Soviet-backed North Korea, and the Vietnam War between U.S.-backed South Vietnam and Soviet-backed North Vietnam. As we speak, a proxy war is being fought between NATO-backed Ukraine and Russia-backed Donetsk and Luhansk as part of the larger NATO-Russia proxy conflict. Some proxy conflicts are themselves proxy wars of larger proxy conflicts. For example, the Iran-Saudi Arabia proxy conflict has been showcased through each side's contributions to the Lebanese Civil War, Yemeni Civil War, and Syrian Civil War. Yet, even the Iran-Saudi Arabia conflict is widely considered part of the overarching East-West proxy conflict, with the U.S. and her allies backing Saudi Arabia, and Russia, China, and others backing Iran. Speaking of the Syrian civil war, this war is also an example of a proxy war between more than two different belligerents. In this war, the Syrian government is supported heavily by Russia due to political relations between Bashar al-Assad and Vladimir Putin, as well as by Iran and Hezbollah, partially due to the Assad's family's adherence to Shia Islam. The dissident Free Syrian Army, meanwhile, is mainly supported by the Muslim Brotherhood and Arab League, likely due to the faction's heavy support among Sunni Muslims. As for ISIS, they're kinda on their own, although both Turkey and Saudi Arabia have faced credible allegations of supporting ISIS. And finally, the predominantly Kurdish Rojava region is aided by the joint task force led by the United States and consisting of numerous other Western nations. A bit less complicated than the Syrian Civil War, the American Civil War was fought between two sides, the United States of America and the Confederate States of America. Despite what adherents to the lost cause of the Confederacy theory may say, the rationale behind the Civil War is pretty straightforward. It was fought over the status of slavery in southern states. Still, it is difficult to accurately pinpoint when the buildup to the Civil War actually began. The decision of 11 states to secede from the Union in February of 1861 was not a spontaneous one. It was a result of unforeseen hostilities between abolitionists and anti-abolitionists. 
Some point to Abraham Lincoln's victory in the 1860 presidential election as the starting point of the war, as Lincoln's aggressive anti-slavery platform struck fear in supporters of slavery. Others point to the 1856 caning of Republican Senator Charles Sumner by Democratic Senator Preston Brooks during a Senate debate over slavery as a catalyst. It has also been argued that the Wilmot Proviso, a failed 1846 proposal to ban slavery in states acquired after the Mexican-American War, kick-started the battle over the status of slavery in unincorporated territories. If you wanted, you could also go back to the 1857 case of Dred Scott v. Sanford, in which the Supreme Court held that slaves are the legal property of their masters. The 1787 Northwest Ordinance, which created and subsequently banned slavery in the Northwest Territory, or even just the arrival of the first slave ships in Virginia in 1619. In my opinion, however, the most visible starting point of the prelude to the Civil War was a proxy war between pro-slavery and anti-slavery paramilitaries in the Kansas Territory. This proxy war, which saw citizen turn on fellow citizen in a brutal guerrilla conflict, would set the stage for the Civil War. I'm going to tell you all about it, right now, on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 68th episode of this podcast, and I'm so excited for you to hear it. Special thank you to Patreon subscribers Barbara, Lisa, Chase, and Tom. If you want to receive a shout-out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and becoming a patron. One more thing, make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Anchor. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Anchor. The status of slavery in newly acquired territories was one of the most prominent factors contributing to the Civil War. In 1787, the Northwest Ordinance established America's first organized unincorporated territory, the Northwest Territory, in present-day Ohio, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. In addition to creating the territory, the Northwest Ordinance also mandated that slavery was to be prohibited in this territory. In 1803, the United States purchased the Louisiana Territory, a vast swath of land west of the Mississippi River that would double the land area of the U.S. from France. Legislation governing slavery in the Louisiana Territory was vague at best, so many slaves continued to be held in the territory. In 1812, Louisiana was admitted to the Union as a slave state, and the remainder of the Louisiana Territory was reorganized as the Missouri Territory. At this point, new states were being admitted willy-nilly as either slave states or free states, and Congress realized they had to figure something out to maintain a balance of power. 
1820, the landmark Missouri Compromise, hailed as a victory for abolitionists, was ratified. The Missouri Compromise admitted Maine as a free state, allowed for the admission of Missouri and later Arkansas and Oklahoma as slave states, and stipulated that all the remainder of the Missouri Territory, i.e. the Great Plains states, would eventually have to be admitted as free states. In 1845, Texas was annexed as a slave state, sparking the Mexican-American War. The next year, abolitionists tried to double down on their victory in the Missouri Compromise with the Wilmot Proviso. This proposal, introduced by Pennsylvania Representative David Wilmot, would have required all land seized from Mexico to be admitted as free states. The Wilmot Proviso passed in the House of Representatives, but failed to pass in the Senate. In 1848, former President Martin Van Buren founded the Free Soil Party, a single-issue party that sought to ban slavery in as many newly admitted states as possible. Soon, the status of slavery in the remaining territory would become the Free Soil Party's main focus. In contrast to Northern abolitionists, which included members of the Democratic, Republican, and Free Soil parties, a small faction of Northern Democrats, pejoratively referred to as Doe Faces, did not oppose the practice or expansion of slavery. One of the most famous Doe Faces was Illinois Senator Stephen Douglas, who would later run against Abraham Lincoln as the Democratic candidate in the 1860 presidential election. In 1854, Douglas introduced the Kansas-Nebraska Act, which divided the remainder of the unorganized territory into the Kansas Territory and the Nebraska Territory, and stipulated that voters in Kansas would be allowed to determine the status of slavery in the future state, despite the fact that the Missouri Compromise mandated that it become a free state regardless of popular sovereignty. Alas, President Franklin Pierce, another doe-face from New Hampshire, signed off on the act, effectively nullifying the Missouri Compromise. With only the white population of Kansas being permitted to vote, this all but guaranteed that Kansas would become a slave state. However, Massachusetts Representative Eli Thayer came up with an idea to send abolitionists from New England, henceforth referred to as Free Staters, to Kansas, where they would take up residency and vote for admission as a free state. In March of 1854, Thayer established the New England Emigrant Aid Company to do just that. Of course, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. In response to the surge of Free Staters, pro-slavery residents of neighboring Missouri, known as Border Ruffians, resolved to ensure that Kansas would be a slave state. To assert political sovereignty over Kansas, the Free Staters drafted the Topeka Constitution, which outlawed slavery in Free Stater-controlled areas. In response, the Border Ruffians drafted their own constitution, the Lecompton Constitution, which ostensibly permitted slavery. Tensions between Free Staters and Border Ruffians boiled over on November 21, 1855, when Free Stater Charles Dow was murdered by Border Ruffian Franklin Coleman in Douglas County, Kansas. 
In order to defend themselves, both factions raised their own militias to fight for the interests of their respective side. Bleeding Kansas had begun. The skirmish caused by the murder of Charles Dow eventually ended after a truce was declared between the Free Staters and Border Ruffians, but this cold peace would not last long. On May 21, 1856, the Border Ruffians launched a full-scale invasion of the Free Stater stronghold of Lawrence, Kansas. There, Border Ruffians ransacked the Free State Hotel, which was known to house abolitionist settlers who had recently moved to Kansas. They also torched the offices of two abolitionist newspapers, the Kansas Free State and the Herald of Freedom. The attack on Lawrence lasted only one day and saw just one accidental death of a Border Ruffian during the collapse of the Free State Hotel. Though the Free Staters retained control of the town, the sacking of Lawrence embarrassed and demoralized the Free Stater movement. Enter John Brown. An evangelical Protestant minister from Connecticut, Brown believed that he was handpicked by God to strike the death blow to slavery in the U.S., and he had moved his family to Kansas in 1855 to support the Free Staters. Infuriated by the sacking of Lawrence, Brown sought revenge on the border ruffians. Three days after the attack, on the night of May 24, 1856, Brown and four of his sons executed the Potawatomi Massacre, during which they captured five border ruffian supporters in Franklin County, Kansas, and hacked them to death with swords. Arguably the most controversial action undertaken by Brown, the Potawatomi Massacre was described by famed abolitionist Frederick Douglass as, quote, a terrible remedy for a terrible malady. Regardless, Brown would lead a Free Stater militia in battle against border ruffians in a slew of future battles, including the Battle of Blackjack, the Battle of Fort Titus, and the Battle of Osawatomi. Meanwhile, Bleeding Kansas was simultaneously fought as a political proxy war. In April of 1856, a congressional investigation found that the territory's pro-slavery legislators had been fraudulently elected, as border ruffians from Missouri, who were not Kansas residents, had voted them into office. In spite of the results it yielded, pro-slavery President Franklin Pierce refused to take action on the issue, instead allowing the illegitimately elected state government to continue serving. In 1858, militant violence in Kansas started up again with the Marais de Signe massacre, which saw the killing of five Free Staters. In January of 1859, however, John Brown would lead his own raid on a band of slave owners in Holton, Kansas, in what was known as the Battle of the Spurs. During this raid, Brown liberated 12 slaves, all of whom he would later lead to freedom in Iowa. A few months later, Brown would leave Kansas, never to return. On October 16, 1859, Brown led an unsuccessful raid on a federal armory in Harpers Ferry, Virginia, 
in the hopes of provoking slave revolts across the South. After being captured, Brown was found guilty of treason and sentenced to death. On December 2nd, 1859, John Brown was executed by hanging in Charlestown, Virginia at the age of 59. Brown's co-commander, Aaron Stevens, was executed alongside him and is buried in Perth Amboy, New Jersey. Back in Kansas, the Free Staters and Border Ruffians each continued petitioning Congress to adopt their respective constitutions. On October 4, 1859, the Wyandotte Constitution, which prohibits slavery, was approved by a referendum, becoming the fourth Kansas Constitution proposed to Congress. Just like with the previous three proposed constitutions, the Wyandotte Constitution was stopped by partisan gridlock in the Senate. However, in what was seemingly a miraculous turn of events, 22 senators representing 11 southern states suddenly resigned from their seats in January of 1861. This paved the way for the Senate to pass the Wyandotte Constitution, and on January 29, 1861, Kansas was admitted to the Union as a free state. Seven years and up to 200 deaths after it began, bleeding Kansas had come to a close. Unfortunately, this was not the happy ending that free staters initially saw it as. By resigning from their seats, the 22 Southern Senators had set in motion a plan that would forever change American history. In February of 1861, seven Southern states seceded from the U.S. to form the Confederate States of America, thus beginning the bloodiest war in American history. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. I certainly enjoyed researching it myself. If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at anchor.fm slash historiaobscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash historia obscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Anchor. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to anchor.fm. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.